Today's Bible reading is from Luke 19, verse 28 to 40. And if you want a shortcut, it's um, page 1054. (laughs) Okay, so the Bible reads. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, tell them the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Good morning. I feel a very long way back. Am I allowed to move forward? Yeah. That's better. Okay. Good morning. Now, that's a pretty big entry, isn't it, that we just heard? It is the entry of all entries. And I think that many of you have got the message from Carl when he preaches that we might be quite big Marvel fans. We do like an Avengers movie. There's, there's one coming out soon. Yay! And in those movies, there is always that hero moment when the hero arrives. Part of me thought I might get Carl to pretend to be that hero, put him on the spot a little bit. But he's not looking keen. He's not looking clean. But the hero makes their big entrance, normally slow motion. The camera pans around them. They smolder into the camera. Ladies swoon. The crowds breathe a sigh of relief. Yes, the city may well be destroyed in the inevitable battle that's going to come, but there will be victory. Maybe Jesus' entry isn't quite like that. Maybe slightly closer is a royal wedding. The carriage comes along that straight long mile up to Windsor Castle. Hundreds of thousands of people line the streets, cheering, whooping, applauding, desperate to catch a glimpse of the bride and groom. It is a joyous occasion. People are going to talk about this moment for years to come. Do you remember when? I was there when. Maybe it's not quite like that either. But Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. This is the triumphant entry, the big hero moment. The Jews have been celebrating Passover, the liberation by God of his people from slavery in Egypt. There is a buzz around Jesus and yet instead of coming in as the hero on the magnificent steed, he's coming in on a donkey, more fitting maybe for a child. 
one that no one has ever ridden before. It doesn't sound that reliable to me for this, you know, big, momentous occasion. He's not coming in on the stallion that you might think fitting for royalty, the stallion which shouts victory. If anything, coming into the city on a donkey seems a little embarrassing, a bit awkward, degrading, a little bit like there were no horses left, just this donkey, untamed, unbroken. Here you go, Jesus. But this is what Jesus has chosen. He has gone for the unexpected. The little donkey, which we might view as being pathetic, Jesus says, yeah, I'll have that one, please. I can work with you. He's very clear about it. Why? Why does Jesus pick the one who is weak? Why not go for the powerful and strong one? The one who knows what they're doing. The one that royalty would choose. Here, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy, which is simply a foretelling of future events. In Zechariah, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus enters the city and the people begin to spread their coats on the ground before him. This is an act that is reserved for royalty. The laying down of a coat is an act of surrender and submission. The people are beginning to worship Jesus. Hosanna. (laughs) Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They are recognising something of who Jesus is. They may not fully understand who he is, but they're getting a glimpse. And they worship. They ascribe worth to Jesus. The people are aligning their heart, their soul, and their mind to God. Yet just days later, the cries of Hosanna turn to crucify him. Just a matter of days. Jesus had come into the city and the people thought, yes, this is it. This is finally our time. Here is the guy who's going to save us. Jesus was the guy who was going to shake things up. He was going to challenge the Pharisees, the chief priests and the Roman Empire. It's not quite how it happened though, is it? Just a few chapters later, Jesus has been betrayed by one of his closest friends and he quietly and humbly submits to the authorities. Where is the uprising, the protest, the rebellion in the streets? I'm thinking Les Mis, that kind of scene. How can he appear to give in so easily? This is not the victory the people had hoped for, made sacrifices for, pinned their hopes and dreams on. Jesus had failed them. He'd let them down. He had disappointed them. He had abandoned the people he had supposedly come to save. We can read these passages and question how easily the people turned from Hosanna to crucify. Could they not see what Jesus was doing? Could they not just hold on to the words that he'd spoken? Where was their faith? Maybe this is true a little bit in our own lives. Hosanna is easy when life is going well. 
when we feel close to God. But how about when things are not going so well? We are still living in the now and not yet of God's kingdom. We still have to deal with disappointment and rejection when we question God, when people we pray for are not healed or saved, when our relationships feel tested or break down, when our finances are strained. How quickly do we turn on God, point the finger? You didn't answer my prayer. You didn't answer my prayer how I wanted you to. You didn't save my closest friend. You stood by while I fell into depression, financial difficulty, while my marriage fell apart. You failed me. You abandoned me. You are not the hero I wanted you to be, the saviour I expected you to be. We can have a set idea of who we think God is and what we think God should do or be when we think God should step in or answer prayer in a certain way. God is not surprised by any of that. We don't catch him off guard and his response is, didn't know that's how you felt. Even if um, God's response is always, I know, do you trust me? Even if we can say yes to that, our disappointment can be crushing. There can be so many times when we feel like we've trusted God, stepped out in faith and then fallen flat on our faces. God didn't come through for us. We've been humiliated or rejected. We've been brave and vulnerable and then it went wrong. What do we do with that? We go back to God. We go back to Hosanna. We go back to praise and worship. Because when we worship, our perspective is changed. We no longer see with our earthly perspective, but we see more with God's perspective. There is clarity and freedom. There is love and acceptance. There is no rejection or anger. God is not the angry old man who looks down on us with disappointment when we mess up again. He is the loving father who runs to us with open arms before we even have a chance to say sorry. But it's hard, isn't it, to worship when you feel broken inside? I know when I was depressed, I couldn't bring myself to sing out to God. I was completely closed off from him. But in that time, he gently drew me back in towards him. By my choosing to stand in the worship by closing my eyes and letting the words wash over me like a healing balm, to tentatively opening my hands to receive God's love for me, to letting the tears flow, knowing that God would wipe them away. God's heart for his people now and then is for them to come home. That was the plan Jesus could see, which the people could not. And that plan was so far from the plan the people had, or that we may have, our perspective is so narrow and limited, whilst God's plan stretched beyond time and space. As we'll be remembering in the next few days as we approach Holy Week, Jesus knew that in order for us to have full access to God, he had to go to the cross. Death was defeated once and for all in the resurrection. Sovereign God 
knows how the story ends. He knows how our individual stories end. Romans 8:28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We don't need to know or see the whole picture because we can know who God is. We can have all the theology our brains can hold, but that does not bring the comfort a saviour brings. And that journey, that process, is relational rather than transactional. Knowing God rather than just knowing about him. Palm Sunday is not the end of Jesus' story. Spoiler. Humiliation, betrayal, rejection, death were not the end of his story. Just like depression is not the end of my story. We can have faith in a God who works all things for good. Jesus faced every kind of trial that we face. And yet because of the intimacy of his relationship with his father, his foundations were not shaken. He knew who he was in God deeply rooted in that relationship. Jesus stands firm in his trial and calls to mind biblical truth. And that's what we're also called to do. Ephesians says, Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So my final question to you this morning is, who is God to you? Is he the loving father, like the prodigal son, running to meet you with arms open wide, giving you the best of the best, rejoicing over you? Or is he something else? Is he maybe distant or cold, angry, disappointed, or not even interested? I went to a conference recently and uh, the guy was talking about how he'd spoken at a conference for deaf people. So there was a signer on the stage and he looked across to see what the sign for Jesus was. I think most of us would know the sign for Jesus is the hands. And then he looked across, what's the sign for the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is quite fluttery, like a dove. Well, what's the sign for God? And the signer did this old man with a big beard and the guy speaking said you know that that sign that doesn't really work for me that that's not who God is to me God is not this old man with a big beard so he said for this conference can we change it can we use something else and the guy leading said well what's the sign for father and the sign for father is on your head he said okay so for this conference today can we use Father in heaven, can we use that? So they started to use that, and then partway through, the signer came up and said, you know, the, the people have been talking, and they, that, does, that doesn't work for them, that sign, that doesn't work for them. What they want is Father, heart. And for those people, that is who God was for them. That is who God is for me, that he is Father, heart. He is not this angry old man who is not interested Jeremiah says, I'm just taking a little bit, says, I thought you would call me father, 
thought you would call me father. So I just want you to take a moment, close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that, and just ask yourself, who is God for you? Father, I thank you that you are a God who cares, that you are in every detail of our story. I thank you that you are a God of the broken and that you are a God of healing and restoration. I thank you that you desire relationship with each one of your children. desire for them to know you better as Father God. Amen.